All right. We're back in business. Here's Tatiana and Eugene. Welcome, Eugene. Good morning. Morning. So today we're, I guess, uh, going to discuss a couple of um, articles. The articles relating to the pros and cons of working a job and the pros and cons of having your own side hustle or your own business. So Eugene, do you want to start? Which one do you want to discuss for first the Forbes one or the Clark one? I think they're both fairly similar and that they have like pros and cons of each. And uh, like, I've also sort of had a change of heart about how I feel about it. Really? Um, Please do share. Well, we had this uh, super fun quarterly meeting where we had all these like executives talk to us. And it seemed like the executives have a vision and they're really good talkers and they could really motivate people to work. But then that doesn't really translate to real work. So they can say that they want transparency and openness and all that vision they put on PowerPoints. But then that doesn't really translate down like five or six layers of management. So, it, I don't know, it, it feels like these leaders don't have like access to their workers, and that's kind of on purpose. They have these quarterlies where they talk to us, but they never follow up in our day-to-day, and they just expect their direct reports to communicate down their vision. And it seems like in a big company... It, it just gets lost. So I feel like as a worker, I'm not working towards the company goal. And that kind of puts me at risk. Because my managers and his manager's goals don't always align, don't align to like the corporate mission. Hmm, interesting. So what was the change of heart? Like what, what did you... What conclusion did you make or what, what did you take kind of, what's the word? Um, not decide for yourself, but sort of realize for yourself. So they were the senior management. They were saying how a lot of times they have these projects and they ask if there's any concerns, if, if there's like delays or over budget stuff and almost never do they get like reports of, oh no, we're doing bad where on a team level, we all know that things aren't going according to plan, but you can never communicate that because then your boss looks bad. Wow. Um, You know, I was just listening to a leadership, one of the leadership books, and um, I think it was Traction, actually, a really great book. I don't know if you've heard of it, by Gina Wickman. Uh, the book basically sort of creates um, something called an EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. <clears throat> and the author talked about specifically what you just mentioned. So he talks about the fact that <clears throat> every company has to have a vision, a, a goal, <clears throat> and that vision has to be communicated to every single person 
in the company consistently. He talks about something like it takes seven times um, for a manager to repeat the vision for you to hear hear them for the first time. So what you're saying is that they're not really doing that. Like they're not, um, the top kind of tone at the top is sort of clear. They're, they're communicating the right values, but the next layers of management don't do the same. Is that right? Or they have their, like each group has these local efficiencies. So for the group to work, they, they have like different goals and the goal on top is always communication and transparency and accountability and you know all that stuff but when you're talking about a person actually doing the work the goals are different the goals are like hey let's not have bugs let's be on time and when decisions have to be made of we didn't test this should we still be on time or do we delay? It's almost always better or different. Like the the team goals are not the same. So that the, the big boss wants everything. But what happens if you either have to have bugs or a delay? Or maybe the entire project doesn't make sense. And then the team can't like own up to, hey, this thing we thought we were doing is no longer good. They just have to deliver it and no say that they what? did it. Wow. And this is like big company stuff. I think at a smaller company, it would be it's much more clear. It's the same thing. Usually, um, at least my experience has been, they're very. there are very few really good leaders, people who understand what the end goal is. Um, and that's, I want to kind of describe a, an analogy <clears throat> that I see in, for example, like I'm working on a book. Um, in fact, the first draft is finished, but like when, uh, we were told, um, in some trainings that when you have your book more or less edited, uh, you should find people who would read it and give you some feedback. Um, but those people shouldn't be your fans because your fans will just, you know, support you in everything that you do. They'll never provide more or less of, of an object, objective feedback. Um, and that's kind of similar to what you're saying. And I don't think that depends on the company size at all. I think that everybody strives to do, to look good. Um, even in smaller companies, what I've what I've seen is that a lot of company, a lot of smaller companies shut down because because exactly of what you just described, lack of negative feedback. So the company thinks that it's all fun and games up until the last breath, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of sad, don't you think? Yeah, and in like the only world I know, modern software development. You you try to avoid these long term plans, and you you focus on like delivering value as quickly as possible, even if it's less value, and then you see if there's interest, and then you prioritize work that 
is almost proven to have value. And a lot of times you have these 10-year plans and two years in, you're no longer building a thing that anyone wants. Hmm, that kind of reminds me of the Soviet Union. Right. And like having long-term plans is fine. And I think that's where you just have failure on leadership. If your boss tells you, do this and our goal is 10 years from now, that's where you sort of lose control because you have to trust the owner or the boss that they're right. But you don't know. So even if they're convincing and they say everything's fine and they report that everything's fine up the chain, you as the the worker don't have any control. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so my question then back to you is, so you said he had a sort of change of heart. What exactly did you either decide or like what, what conclusions you make or like, what's the epiphany? So the, the example closest to me is if you have money and you trust someone to invest it and they're like, Hey, yeah, don't worry. You'll retire a millionaire. And you never check in. You never like know your situation. The person that's managing the money will be rich and you don't know where you are in 20 years. That person will be gone. Sort of like same thing with contractors. If you're building something, it is your job to be involved in every step of the process. So when I come into work and my boss is telling me to work on something, I don't, I don't know why. And if I ask, they, they'd be like, well, that's someone else's job to worry about it. And it's sort of clicked that our super senior leadership don't want that. They want all of us to know the company goal where our local managers or middle managers or somewhere along the line, that message gets lost. And I was like, I got this feeling of I'm allowing someone else to like manage my career. Well, I mean, you'll always be dependent on somebody else. Um, there's no way around it, but the fact that there is miscommunication or at least that the middle managers are not communicating the values and don't believe in those values. is kind of sad. Don't you think? Right. So I feel like I ended up in a situation where, um, like, yes, uh, uh, like my own small business, I would have the priorities because it's me. And then I, I would be able to figure out if it's working or not. I'll have metrics. And I'm sure some companies do allow their workers at every level to know how they're doing. If they mess up, what are the consequences? Like, they might not get fired, but it's good for them to know that the company lost $20 million. It's, you know, it's hard um, from an accountant perspective. I can tell you that it's hard to be the, bear, uh, the bearer of bad news. Um, so, like, I find that I have to often not sugarcoat, but almost sugarcoat and be careful in how I deliver those news because um, 
at least from the financial standpoint, I feel that a lot of um, folks, once you tell them, well, you know, your first quarter, your first month of the year is not meeting the budget, they get defensive. And it takes some time to kind of overcome that defensiveness. Yeah. And I think the reaction from some middle manager, because at some uh, at some level, some manager knows how the project is doing. And if it's going bad, they, I feel like they won't communicate it up or down. So they'll know. They'll tell their workers to keep working, even though it's not going well, because they're protecting them or something. And then they won't report it up because they think that they could fix it. And they don't want to get in trouble for having an unsuccessful project. Hmm. It's kind of sad. And this could be just like a bad team. It probably is lack of leadership skills. Yeah. Because the leaders um, yeah. aren't leaders. They were never trained. They. The, That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's um, really what it comes down to. <clears throat> and that also shows a failure on the senior leadership because they trust these middle leaders and they're just wrong. Well, um, I was just um, thinking, I feel like um, now because you've had this experience, if you were to start something on your own, you would probably be in a much better place because you already have had this, like you kind of know what you don't want, right? Right. And I'm sure that if I interview for a different company, I can try my best to figure out if the leadership structure is good. And it's also kind of scary to say that I'm going to start my own business and do what? You know? You'll figure it out, I think, eventually. You don't have to, I feel like you don't have to start just for the sake of starting, you know? Like, um, it takes time to develop, to to understand, to develop the understanding of what you're passionate about. And you also have to find customer needs so you have to find an area that you're passionate about or something and then figure out what you can add to that area Mm -hmm. and i've never really had to do that i just came in and did what i was told so it was someone else's job to figure out need how to get there and if we're getting there so it's like an entirely new sort of job in addition well, to doing it. I feel like I kind of have an idea for you. Yeah. Is it <laughs> podcasting? <laughs> Good try. No. So, so I met someone um, a couple of months ago and this person is, I don't want to, I don't want to call him a coach because he's not a coach. He works with startups and he, is certified in this EOS, which is the entrepreneurial um, operating system by, you know, by Gina Wickman from the Traction book. Um, He 
basically works as a consultant. And part of that system, like I said, was to make sure that the message, the vision, the uh, values are clearly communicated to every single person in the company numerous times. And I mean, that's not the only obviously thing. It's a whole approach to managing the company, to getting to the groove, the, the meetings, the kind of the feedback and all of that stuff. <clears throat> but he's doing, um, he's helping startups basically um, grow, but grow at a I don't want to say controlled, controlled in the controlled environment, but more like grow efficiently, um, grow well. So, uh, like maybe we can do a podcast just on this traction book because I just finished it a couple of weeks ago, um, and it's fairly easy to read. It's it's kind of a straight to the point, plain English type stuff. So for someone like you, I don't know if you would necessarily want to do something like develop a software and try to sell it to people, but maybe be a consultant who have seen all of these leadership failures and, or men or management failures and kind of bring in that experience for others. And it doesn't have to be kind of an ongoing thing in the sense that like this guy, he doesn't work full time for, for a company for a long time. It's more of a, like a six months to a year to two year engagement where after the engagement is over, <clears throat> he moves on to the next to the next one. So it doesn't necessarily have to be software related, but it just um, can be tech related or whatever it is. So it's just an idea for you. So I feel like being a consultant is just another way of framing the same thing. So I tend to switch jobs every few years. I can just pretend that I'm a consultant and run the business that I am and pretend that I'm a consultant. And I know that if a project goes bad, I don't care because I am ready to switch whenever. And I could have multiple clients or I can just have one. And I think the consultancy is more of a mindset because it can collapse down into I have a job I don't care about it I just do as I'm told and when the project's over or it fails or whatever I just move on and I do the same thing at a different company well I thought you said you said you had a change of heart right so if you want to work for a company and really care about it you either have to be on a team where these values are encouraged and you believe in it, or you can do your own thing and then you're in charge of the vision of where the company's going and how we get there and if we're doing the right thing. I feel like the consultant part is, is the same thing as working in a bad team and not caring because they still pay you. No, but the, no, no, no. If you fail as a consultant, they don't, they don't continue working with you. Right. So you have to be actually committed to their success. Sure. So I can pretend that I'm a quality assurance consultant and I only have one client for now and I work there and I do my job. And when you're a consultant, 
you you get told what needs to be done and you can recommend your expertise and they can either listen to it or not. And then you can just move on. There's no commitment to the company. I guess, but you're basically being a freelancer sort of. Yeah. And that's how I feel. Which is the opposite of what these super senior leaders are saying. But their actions don't follow up. Well, it's not probably... Well, actually, no, it is their fault. Um, it is their fault because they've hired managers who don't... Who just come to this job as a job. Who don't really follow... Um, follow up and don't really maybe believe in those values. So like this guy, Jenna Wickman, he says that you're supposed to hire folks who based on values, kind of ask them what they're not ask them what their values are, but like make sure that at, at interviews, make sure that they actually believe in the same things that you believe in. And um, if there is a mismatch in values, then it's the wrong person for you, which is which I found interesting. I mean, so, so I don't know. I can just chill out, pretend that I'm a consultant, mm -hmm. and just focus on the work that I'm doing, or go the other way and have a company that I want to grow, and like offer a product, or you know, help whatever industry I'm in. Yeah, I feel like the landscape of the the startup, the tech development has changed so much over the past like five, seven years. And I think it's moving away from these consultants because before there were millions of consultants. You could you could hire consultants for project management or development and testing, and now the the push has been towards these owners, not renters, employees. And I think any company now that's newer will at least pretend that they want these people that are committed, that aren't consultants, that are committed towards the vision of, I don't know, the CEO. You would hope so, right? Right. But these older companies, they're trying to go there. And that's what all the leadership are, is like saying. But those senior leaders aren't connected to the actual implementation of the work. I mean, they don't have, when you're a leader, you don't have to do everything. So I don't blame them for not kind of getting into the nitty gritty of the work. Right. I mean, yeah, all, all they have to do is have a vision that's theirs. And if they fail, that's on them. And then they have to communicate those values downstream. I agree. And if one of their managers or whatever isn't following those guidelines, it's on them to figure it out and do something about it. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, like, right now there's a lot of talk about leadership, about being a leader, being vulnerable, Brittany Brown's work. I love, I love her dare to lead book. Have you heard of it? No. 
and there's a lot of leadership material from not leaders. It's like made for leaders. And it's it it's like a lot of talk. So when these leaders have presentations, they have talking points. And if I read the same books, I already know what they're going to say. Well, so Brene Brown's book, um, she's actually a researcher. She's, a, I think, psychology and sociology or sociology only professor. She has um, done studies um, on people for many years. <clears throat> so her her conclusions are she's not, well, she's sort of is a leader because she leads her team, her research, all of that. But um, she has, her conclusions come out of the studies that she has conducted over like 20 years or 25 years. So really some really cool stuff, not just talking points. You should check her out. <laughs> so I don't know, like, is it okay to be this consultant thing and just be the only employee of your small business and then yeah, like I'm employed, what? but picture yourself as a consultant. But why do you say you will be only the only employee? Like it doesn't always, it's not always going to have, it's not always going to stay that way. You will grow. If you do things right, you will grow to a point where you can actually create a pretty cool, neat company. It doesn't have to be just you. Right. It's just usually is in the beginning, but. And then what? I'll have a consulting company and I'll like delegate work and I'll send my people to different companies to do this same work. That's not what I want to yeah. do. Okay. Well, you'll figure out what you want to do. But um, just a couple of ideas for you. Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to kind of open up. I really like the Forbes article because what I liked about it, it talked about five reasons to start your own consulting business and five reasons not to. Are they talking about a consulting business specifically? Actually, yes. This one says five reasons to start your own consulting business. <laughs> uh, and the reason number one, your creative energy is dammed up inside a corporate ins institutional structure that doesn't let your ideas come to fruition. Do you agree with that? It depends on if your values align with the company. Do yours? Um, no. Okay. Like I want to do a good job, but the people who manage me just, just want to report that their projects are going okay. TPS report? <laughs> but actually. <laughs> Did you see that movie, Office yeah. Space? <laughs> like, they were talking about testing reports. TPS is like, it's something about testing. I think so. So uh, It's just something, something status, project status, or technical project status report so, or something. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great movie. All right. So, um, I don't know. Do you have a lot of creative energy? Do you think? I mean, 
I am interested in like my specific testing world and I like following the current patterns and like developments in Mm -hmm. software. So cool. I have an idea for you. Okay. What if you could have a company that just provides testing, meaning, you know, like, like you mentioned that you have to sit around and wait for the work when the work is ready for you to test sort of. So what if you could have a team of people who just provided the testing to companies like your employer to just test their stuff when it's needed so that your team can be working on different, like you would have different teams eventually maybe just one team in the beginning. And like when the project is ready, your team is like, okay, we're going to test it today. Um, and it's done. So this way the employer is not paying someone's salary for sitting around and doing nothing. And at the same time, they have stuff um, tested correctly when, when they need it. Right. So that was sort of the old way of doing things. You had a testing phase where the current methodology and guidance is to not do that. It's to have testers not be testers. It's to have everyone be testers. So you're always testing and there's no phase that you have to hand off the finished work to a testing group. The testers are testing as things are being developed. So 20 years ago, yes, consulting's for testing. But but now those sort of consultancies aren't popular because the, the guidance or the best practices is to not do that, is to not have these silos or consultancies that each do a small piece. It should all be like a cohesive group. But it's not what you're doing. Well, that's what they say we're doing. Like, (laughs) the PowerPoints say that we're part of a team and it's one vision and something, something. But in reality, yeah, I'm sure they would love to outsource testing. But that's not the best practice now. Why not? I mean, I understand what you just explained, but, like, I don't don't understand why... Having you know, paying you salary and having you sit around for the waiting for the next test, um, how is that good? Because the the industry decided, like the majority of the companies decided that having these phases or handoffs is bad, and everyone on the team should be very familiar with the product at every stage. So there should be testing all the time. And that's just software specific. And maybe if you want to have an app, you pay a developer and you also pay a tester. And and you have a project manager. Sure. And <laughs> you or the greater industry figured out that that doesn't work. That it's not, it's not good to have these contract testers. It's also not good to have contract developers. It should, the people should own the product. 
and then like make the best decision in real time? Hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Don't you agree? I mean, like, like why can't like today you, you know, you need something tested. You call up the, the vendor and you're like, well, I need this tested by the end of the day. Like, how's that? Okay. How's that a problem? Let's split this into two different scenarios. Sometimes you're building a thing that you know needs to be built. Let's say a car. Every single car, once you design it, needs to be the same. Every single operation, every single procedure is defined. So all you need is to train people to follow instructions, be careful, and then testers are just making sure that the thing that was supposed to be built was built exactly, right? Mm -hmm. In software, that's not so. You build a small thing, you release it, you get some feedback, and the cycles are much faster, and you don't know what you're building when you start. Or you have an idea, and then that end product is supposed to change. It's called agile, right? Well, that's... (laughs) I know some some words. Sure, but... (laughs) The the point is that you deliver value sooner and then you adjust. And if someone tells you we're going to have a five-year project and it fails, that's on that person. But now they're trying to minimize risk. How do you minimize risk? You deliver value sooner, see if it's worth it, and then adjust. Okay. So at that point, it doesn't make sense to have consultants. You want people to be able to react and understand the business and what what the app is supposed to do while it's changing. Hmm. Interesting. I still like. I'm still not convinced that you can't have a team that's kind of like you said, like you're a silo. Um, you could it's kind of, but that's not yeah. the work that I want to do. I don't, I don't want to come into work, have a sheet of paper with 10,000 things, and my goal for this year is to check off every one of those things. It's not interesting. It's not creative. I want to be able to work at a company that I come into work and I'm reactive and I adapt towards like a never-changing environment. Okay. Um that makes sense, sort of, I guess. So there are Scrum Master, Agile coaches, consultants, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of their job. They come into companies and they coach them into this new way of thinking. And that's pretty popular. I actually agree with that a lot. I think that people who don't sign up for Facebook or don't, get the latest phone, not every year, but like every few years to see, stay kind of on top of technology, they will kind of quickly become dinosaurs in a sense. So you always have to like, I always try to be to adapt new developments quicker just because I think that the world is changing so much that you have to stay kind of always on top of these things. But it's also being done for you. So your computer, your phone, your 
everything, auto updates. So Facebook releases a new version of their app every two weeks. And whether you like it or not, Apple pushes updates. You know, Windows has all sorts of weird things they're doing. But that's like the present state of software. And if you look at it, it's like, why am I getting all these app updates? Like, that's weird. This little thing broke. Why did they release it? Because they don't know what they're building. And they're just trying to adapt in these two-week increments. Wow, interesting. Maybe I should be an agile coach. (laughs) Maybe you should. (laughs) See? Okay, so going back to our five reasons to start a consulting business... (laughs) (laughs) you know a better way to attack the issues confronting your industry or profession, but you need your own consulting practice to be able to do so. We just talked about it. You're tired of working for somebody else. Are you tired of working for somebody else? Um, Or no? I remember you said in one of our earlier episodes that you were kind of like the fact that it's stable and well, more or less stable. And kind of predictable paycheck and stuff. Sure. And I like working for good leaders. I like when someone has a thing they believe in, then they could convince you and show you that this is a good thing to be working on. Maybe you should work for me. You're not being very convincing. (laughs) I'm a great leader. Well. I actually believe in what I do a lot, and that is kind of uh, contagious. Yeah, so, I mean, if you believe in what you're doing, you just keep doing it. Do you, do you need more people to believe you? Well, this year, probably. Eventually, yes, because um, I'm working on a few cool projects that will launch this year, including, well, the book is not going to be, it's not going to come out this year, but I'm going to be actively promoting it and all of that and a couple of other things. So I definitely will be building up a team later this year. Uh, but I, I feel like my vision is so contagious that when I talk to people about it, they're like, Oh my God, this is so cool. Sure. But it, I feel like you'll have trouble getting people to not just do exactly what you say, but to do what you want without having to say it because you share the common like end goal. Right. That's where leadership style comes in. Right. So you have to not convince someone to do something, not give them a to-do list. You have to like change the way they think so their goals align with your goals yeah in a changing way so tomorrow's goals could be different and it's on leadership to have that feedback yeah okay good luck yeah it makes sense i'm definitely reading a lot of leadership not only leadership books but really good books that are like my next one on the list is think and grow rich um, 
I've heard a lot of references to this book in other books. Uh, there's another one um, that I'm going to... So I definitely recommend Traction to you and to our listeners. But um, hmm, let's see. Good to Great. I've also heard a lot of references to, to this book. You can try um, Blue Ocean Strategy. That's a classic. I've I've heard of it. Yeah, I definitely heard of heard a reference from I'm looking at it right in now. other books. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm gonna I'm going to an event um, in two weeks, and I'm gonna be driving about four hours to middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Isn't um, everything in Pennsylvania middle of nowhere? <laughs> yes, it's actually Littitz, Pennsylvania. Do you, do you know where it is? Oh. A lot of like rock bands do their like initial performances or test performances there. It's like you drive through these fields and fields and fields and fields. And then like, boom, there's this chic hotel, like pretty, it's like all rocking. It's all lights and like super, super modern and stuff. It's pretty cool actually. But I'll have four hours going there and another four hours going back. So um, we'll definitely um, download some more books. <laughs> and this one will be one of them. You can also listen to this podcast. Ours? Yes. <laughs> it is good to test the audio in different environments. So... The podcast sounds different to me than to you because of our different headphones, but it also sounds different in the car. Hmm. Okay, so we'll do that. Cool, mm -hmm. we'll do that. So let's see. So we have a couple of more talking points about this. This pros and cons. <sighs> All right. So I don't think any of these reasons really apply to you as much. I don't know if it. Like some of them will or will not apply to other people. And like, I mean, if you realize that you're tired to work for somebody else, it's kind of a no brainer to, to realize that you, um, you want to start something on your own, but I don't think you're there. Like, meaning you like the comfort you kind of, yeah, you don't like the middle leadership, but, um, I don't feel like, like, like you're there yet, like you're ready to take the leap sort of, I think in a couple of years, it's going to develop for you in a sense that you will may take 10 to 20 years. I've known someone who worked in the banking industry for about 20 years. Um, they saw that there was no um, gateway to like take any sort of the banking message and um, translate it to a language that another bank's computer will understand. And they created a product, but it took them 20 years to get there. But, I mean, a lot of that stuff isn't a limitation on technology. It's just politics and people want to protect themselves from, like, yeah. being consumed into one huge, like, conglomerate. Yeah, sure. I mean... It also, I feel like, like for this person specifically, he had a lot of children, so he probably needed a stable paycheck. 
before he could start something on the, on his own. But um, like for you, it may not, it may be so much faster. But I feel opposite. I feel working for a company is less secure. Really? Well, yeah, they could fire you at any time. And like, I know for a fact that our team's vision isn't what the company wants. So that that's weird. So you're at risk, basically. Well, you're always at risk. You're you're dependent on your like immediate manager to make sure that your goals are aligned with the company goals. And what if your skills, the team, is no longer part of the company's like future vision? Yeah. What if they decide to instead of have on-site engineers to offshore that might be the best decision for the company but it's not the best decision for like the team so then you you have these split goals the team wants to sustain itself but the company wants to do better yeah so, so it's a problem yeah. so when your team goal isn't aligned with the company goal He's just got to go. You're going to go or? I mean, something has to change. Either they will Someone... realize and fire us or we realize and leave. I see. Or figure out a way to realign. Right. Do you think it's possible for your team to realign or no? Well, it's not on, it's not on, it's not the, on the, the workers because we're not allowed to know anything. Really? Well, that's the problem. The senior leadership would would love for us to know, but they don't do anything to enable that other than just say it to us or to their direct reports. That's kind of sad. So they had an example. They were like, well, we would love for every single person in the company, account engineer, anything, to know the impact of their team. How much does the team cost? How much does the team bring in? What are the risks? What are the benefits? All that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we go to our boss and we're like, hey, buddy, remember that talk we just had with your boss's boss's boss? Can we find out things about like the team and the future and why we're doing this? He's like, no, you just let me and the VP handle that. You just do your job. Wow. And cool. Weird. <laughs> so now do I believe my like local boss that he will do the right thing for us no Probably. because he's not following guidance from his own boss wow wow it's like depressing mm -hmm. you want to talk about it so <laughs> uh <laughs> So let's actually, so maybe you're in the other back bucket of this article, uh, five reasons not to start your business. You need a steady significant income to cover your expenses. We kind of talked about that. Um, you don't have a lot of extra time. You do, right? Yes. No? And I like having the mindset of I'm like a consultant with one client helps me mentally like day to day but I would also like to try some other stuff but I can't go from 
consultant with one client to I'm going to start a lighting company and I'm going to sell lights. You have to start, I think, with something smaller, something with like a smaller initial investment. And then you try to grow that business. And if it doesn't work, you could try growing a different business. I agree. Absolutely. That's how you do it. And then you Did become, I tell you a story? Yeah. And then you become like, let's call them like serial entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it could be part-time I until agree. it takes absolutely. off. Yep. That's how you do it and not lose money and are not stuck kind of. Yeah, absolutely. So at that point, do the th- product doesn't matter. You just have to do something. Yeah, I agree. Did I tell you about my client who whose like concept um, changed completely over like five six years? You could tell the audience. <laughs> I don't remember if I did before or not. But um, so this client of mine, he started his company in twenty eleven. So two thousand eleven, he started, and his concept was kind of geared towards clothing designers and and stuff. And over the years, this has been kind of approaching people for funding and um, kind of, well, first of all, he believes that everybody should, every small business or every startup has to try to get funding because not for the sake of like having someone else's funds, but for the sake of selling your idea to one person who's ready to write your check to validate your idea, basically. Um, And over the six, seven years, his concept evolved to something completely different. So something not even related to fashion, um, something that's related to social media and its impact on um, brands, on kind of monetizing every person's following and all of that stuff. So like it changed completely and he was totally open to it because probably he was very young when he started the company in the first place. But um, that's kind of how I think you, what you're saying is it will change. It's just a lot of people whose companies fail, they kind of cling on to that initial idea. And then if it doesn't work, they still hold on to it until it dies. Right. And I think the secret is to actually to do exactly what you've said, to start with an idea and then let it evolve and see how things go. And maybe it's going to completely become something else. Um, And then you just go with it and you adapt to the market, you adapt to the environment and you consistently kind of look for ways to revolutionize an industry or a product or a service or whatever it may be. That's how you succeed. I think it's easy to start a business or start like an effort and have it not succeed and realize that, okay, this didn't work. Let me try something else. I think it's harder if the idea works, but not to the extent that you want. So say you are an accountant and you have 20 clients and you hire two people to handle all that. And the business is making money. It's, okay, but it's not where you want it to be and you you don't see a way to grow it better. And you see this new opportunity to pivot and you want to, but then you're letting down your clients and you're letting down your workers. And then the decision to 
continue working at this mediocre startup effort is easier and it feels better because then you're not letting anyone down. You know, you've just described a traditional accounting firm, basically. (laughs) That's true. I mean, I approached a colleague of my former colleague of mine, not approached. I was like, do you want me to share? Like my business has, after I've hired a coach and gone through this training program, my business has completely turned around. I realized what value I can provide. I want to provide what, where I see my business going. And I was like, these two programs have been um, critical for, for my change in mindset and also kind of change in the business and approach and everything. And um, at first this colleague of mine was super excited and said like, Oh yeah, I would definitely want to do it. At least one of those programs and this and that. And then nothing happened you know, nothing. And, and it just, and I was like, you know what, that's fine. Like maybe it sounded too good to be true, but I am a living proof that it did work. It worked for other people that I know that wouldn't lie. And it, some people are just very comfortable with the way things have always been. I also think it's important to find your comfort level and stay there. Like if you're uncomfortable with like consistency and yet if you find it boring, sure, you need to do what like makes you happy. But I think some people, and maybe I'm there too, if I find something that I like, I think it's okay to stay there as long as everything is like taken care of. Right? I mean, you're just looking yeah, for happiness. I, if you're happy at a place, why change just for change's sake? But this person specifically is not happy with, you know, clients who demand a lot and don't, um, and always argue with you in terms of how much they pay and all of that. So it's not like for this person specifically, it's, he's not, he or she is not happy um, per se, but to do something out of the box is like whole other universe. And I like, I understand that like everybody kind of struggles with being agile um, until you kind of realize that if you live in an agile state, if you adapt quickly or learn to adapt quickly, you don't have to enjoy the constant change. Like I'm not enjoying things changing all the time in terms of, my work, but they do. And I have no control over that. I just have to kind of get used to it and start liking it. And once I did this last year, I, my business approach and my, my vision, my client work, my everything else changed to, to, to con kind of a completely different life. And I feel like if you enjoy it, yes, but let's say, like accountants, for example, it's very hard for us to get out of that mindset that we have to compete with other accountants that, you know, when people say, I'm going to see if anyone can do this cheaper for me, we feel this urge to, to still, you know, make it work for them, give them a lower price and keep the client. Whereas um, there are a number of books, Pumpkin Plan is one of them. There are a couple of them out there where those are not the clients for, for our business. And, um, it's if for a moment you can feel like, yes, it may work for me now. I actually am in a happy place, but 
I don't think that lasts. Do you, do you agree? I mean, I feel like it never lasts. I think long. that if you think of yourself always as a business, because there's this weird drive in society to be a small business owner and there's all these books and leadership, but if you forget about all that, and you just treat yourself as your own small company. And all you have to do is support yourself, your family, whatever like thing you have to do in life. And then you take every opportunity as what it is. So I got a job. I am providing for the people, you know, animals that like depend on me. And I'm also living the lifestyle that I want. If I can tell myself that this isn't enough and I should do something else and maybe, yes, maybe I'm not there. Maybe you're not living the life that you want and you have to do something to change it. Where with me, I feel okay and like my current job financially pays for all the things that I want. And... I think having the drive to be a small business owner is not useful. So you should do the stuff that you like, work with the people that you like. And now I'm realizing, hey, maybe I don't like working with these people. And that's something that I need to figure out because it's like stressing me out. Really? But say that you or someone that you know all of a sudden is like, hey, I want to have an app. Can someone test it for me? And I would be like, no, that's stupid. Why in the world would you do this? But they're like, no, dude, seriously, we're going to pay you. We really need this. Can you do this? And then I can evaluate that opportunity, not as a business opportunity, but as like a will this improve my life moment. And then if I do a good job and they recommend me to someone else and this can, this could spiral into a business or not. But I don't think that doing like a consultancy or working full time or moving to Pennsylvania and opening up like a coffee shop. I don't, I don't think that any one of those is better unless you, the individual, wants that thing, or you see an opportunity and you want to try it? I think there will be many times in your life when you'll see an opportunity. Yes. Um, I don't think that businesses grow out of just the need. It's also the passion. It's also seeing something missing. Um, and I've actually met a, quite a few people who want to do something, but they don't know what they want to do. So they're really having a hard time figuring this thing out. But I don't think they need to. Like, I feel like Figure I'm in that out. camp that I would like to say that I'm a small business owner. I do this service, sell this thing. I don't know. But I also think that it's okay to kind of, stick with what I have, continue doing the work that's you know okay with me, and then be open to opportunities as opposed to 
be like seeking them out just for their own sake. Like, yeah, if, if I want to start a coffee shop and that's something I'm passionate about, I should try it. But if there's, if there's nothing that I'm very passionate about and there's no opportunities currently, I think it's okay to just chill out. I agree. Absolutely. Well, you're super young, so um, there's nothing wrong with, with what you're doing. But it feels wrong. Society and all these books tell me that like you have to be a leader and you have to do this, you have to break out of your shell. And in reality, I can just come home and play video games knowing that like financially everything's cool and I'm moving in a correct direction and it's fine. There's no this like artificial pressure from consultants and leadership project management, productivity gurus, they're selling this productivity that I might not need. You know, I actually think that we can discuss in our next episode if, you know, we uh, we can actually spend maybe 10, 15 minutes talking about personality styles. There are about seven of them. I just went... Um, to get trained in this uh, stud, not study, but the system of assessing personalities, and it seems to be very powerful and very um, accurate. We can actually discuss it at, on our next episode and talk about like the fact that not everybody needs to be a business owner. Some people are don't have that mindset. Some people need time to find the right idea. And that's probably you. You probably need some time to figure out what void to fill, what business it, to start, if any. Right. And I think that changes over time yeah, as opportunities come up. And we could take that quiz or whatever, like on the podcast. Quiz? What quiz? To find out your personality. Oh, it's so it's a word survey. So you, um, it will take some like, 15 minutes for someone to take it. And then the results are basically showing you one of the seven personality styles. And then we can talk about, so what I was trained in those, those personality styles, so it will take a while. So it's not something you want to do over a podcast episode, but it's something, the results of that we can sure. kind of discuss um, at a, at the next episode on before. the next. Episode. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, I think it was a pretty good episode, so um, I hope it was useful for our listeners. Um, I think we had some really cool discussion. Yeah. And then next next um, week we're going to discuss, um, possibly we'll bring somebody on who who will who is kind of in the, in between. Kind of, Don't lie to um, people. Maybe, we're not going to have any guests. Maybe we will. Yeah, well. All right. Are you doing this fine?